0: Word of God. Uh, today, I want you to look at something I think that is very important to where we are in the in the body of Christ. But something I think is important in Colossians. We're going to read in a minute Colossians verse three through verse fourteen. In those verses, I want to show you seven steps to keep the church on fire. Because one of the things we got to do is keep the church on fire. You agree? We already got ignited. When this church was birthed 15 years ago, you were ignited by the Holy Spirit. Now what we need to do is keep the fire burning. And I think it's important. I want to, let me give you three points before we read the text that are important. I call it PDC. P-D-C. Persecution. Deception. Commitment, P.D.C. Persecution, Deception, Commitment. And so, why did you take that acronym and define it in that way? Because one of the things that the first that the church has to really align itself with, and really get it, our understanding and developing where we are, is to understand that the moment you catch fire, it's going to cause persecution. Persecution is really pressure from without that is coming against your joy that is within. It is outside pressure that cannot affect you unless you let it in. Let me say that again. Outside pressure that cannot affect you unless you let it in. Jesus said in the world you're going to have persecution, but in me, you're going to have peace. So that means that we've got to stay in Jesus so we don't let outside pressures affect us with what we have inside. One of the key elements and one of the elements that's in the church we're going to look at in Colossians that they were fighting is constant deception. And the reason that people get deceived is because they don't know what they believe. Because if you're secure in what you believe, you cannot, you will not, you should not get deceived. And the last point in PDC is commitment. Because commitment really means consistency. That what you're doing, don't try to do nothing else, just keep doing what you're doing. And um, you just got to do it. Commitment is simple. It just means to keep doing what you're doing. And don't stop, because when you stop, you move something in a tragic, uh, tragic basis of really not understanding where you are. So um, let's read Colossians 1. Did I say Colossians 1? Yes. Uh, verse 3 through 14. I'm, I, want, I want our reader to read it first, and then we'll go back and we'll, we'll outline it, and then I'll try to exegete as much as I can before our time runs out. Amen? We'll do it in that order. All right, I've given you the introduction. Now we're going to get the body, and then we'll move to the conclusion. Is that okay, Elbrue? Okay, we got the introduction. We're going to keep the church on fire. Everybody say, keep the church on fire. Keep the church on fire. I'm going to do this in seven steps, but the seven steps are all C's because it'll be easy for you to remember. Acronyms, when you do them like that, it's called alliterated. It's called alliterated. When you do alliterations, it means you try to do a formula so it makes it easy for people to remember. That's why I told you PDC, which is a formula for human persecution, deception, commitment. You get those things together. So now I'm going to show you seven C's that we can keep the church on fire. Let's start reading at verse 3 and read all the way down to verse 14. Then we'll come back.
1: We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And who also told us of your love in in the spirit. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy place in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
0: Amen. And the word of the Lord was read, so let's shout Amen. The Lord says the blessing in the reading of the word is a blessing in the hearing of the word. So we need to hear the word, and I wanted to make sure we got the whole context together. Now, get your pens out for a minute, because I want to give you all seven of these steps that are here, and then we can exegete them, because sometimes we don't get to everything we plan to get to. But I want to make sure that you uh, cover these seven steps. So let me give you, in those verses, Paul discusses, Seven ways to keep the church on fire. So I want to give those to you that are so important. Number one, the first is to have compelling faith. Compelling faith. You need to have compelling faith to keep the church on fire. Number two is compassionate love. Compassionate love. Leave room to write in between those because I'll expound on these when we get through. Confident love. Change lives, committed leaders, constant prayers, and number seven, continued appreciation. I'll just do them again, real fast. Compelling faith, compassionate love, confident hope, changed lives, committed leadership, constant prayers, and continual appreciation. Seven steps to keep the church on fire. Now, why was this necessary? I often point out to people that the gospel is the biography of the founder of the Christian church. So that when we read the four gospels, we're reading the life, the works, the ministry of Jesus Christ. He started the church. That's an event. Some of us stay at the event and never get the experience. And you see, part of the reason that we rehearsed the event is because we realize that Jesus Christ was much more than just a man. He was really God wrapped up in human flesh. But the Gospels give us the event of Christianity that it is good news, that the message that Jesus has come to bring is a message of hope, a message of life, a message of joy that takes us further than where we are right now. But what The epistles really tell us is what happened after happy ever after. Sometimes we read stories, and at the end of the story, we get the fact that the characters live happily ever after. But that's not always true because it's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to live saved. And so the epistles deal with the struggle of living what you got. And the problem is some of us stay right at the event of salvation, and we never get to the life of the Spirit. And the life of the Spirit is much more important than just getting the Spirit. Because we can stay at an event and constantly keep trying to recapture event, event, event. You know, some folks, all they want to do is speak in tongues, speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Some people, all they want to do is dance. And I'm saying there's nothing wrong with dances, nothing wrong with speaking in tongues, but that's an event. But how do we live in the spirit? Because basically when you get saved, you get a new identity. And now how do you live with people with an old identity when you have a new identity? That's what the epistles talk about. The problem in Colossae was that they had gotten caught up in a heresy. Paul does not define the heresy in his letter. He just deals with the fact that they had got caught up in some sort of heresy that was taking them away from what they had received. They had received the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, Colossia is modern-day Turkey. So if you want to get an idea geographically where it is, it's, in, it's actually Turkey. It defines modern-day Turkey. But the church here was an important church because during the time of the New Testament, it was not the marketing community that it had been a century before. But it was where a lot of Gentiles had received the faith. They had received the message of Jesus Christ. Paul founded this church, and uh, as he we- met with Erapathus, who really was kind of like the leader of the church, he came to Paul about the issues that were going on in the church, that people were trying to come in to deceive them from what they originally deceived. You know, what, the thing that's interesting about... The start of anything, like in business. Business really tells us that a business is really not sovereign until after the 10th year. Marriage is really not good until after the 7th year. If you can make it through the first 7 years, you probably got it. Most marriages fail within the first 7 years. So if you pass the first 7 years, you ought to thank God. I ain't hear a lot of amens. and churches a lot of churches fail too in the first 10 years yet these are this is the 15th year of this ministry which means that there is some consistency there's some things that are going on somebody said if you want to see how the popular the pastor is come to church on sunday morning if you want to see where the disciples are come to bible class on wednesday night but if you want to see where God is, come to prayer service on Tuesday night. I, I, read, I read a lot about Paul, and I was really impressed with the revelations that he received in the Spirit. But one of the things that became consistent to me over and over, sometimes, you know, you study so much till you miss some things. And what I had missed for a while was called Paul's constant prayer life. He is constantly in the epistles, and you see quite a few without praying for the church. He has a consistent prayer. Not only do we get revelations from God, and sometimes we think it's all about studying books and commentaries and getting into dictionaries and that we know so much about the Scripture, but it's not really so much getting that temporal or scholarly knowledge as it is getting prayer life. Because you get to know God the more time you spend with God. Not with books, but with God. And so I spend more time these days in prayer because I'm starting to learn something about a consistent prayer life. That doesn't mean I haven't always been praying, but not like I've been praying now. Because I've learned something different of being in the secret place that was more important than being in the public. Well, let's look. Let's let's see where we are. He says the first step to keeping the church on fire is to have compelling faith. Read
1: verse 4 for me. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. We have heard of
0: how consistent you are in your faith. Now, let me, let me share with you three things about faith because if we don't get these three things in order, we miss it. One of the things about literally translating the Scripture or looking at trying to understand the Scripture from a literal standpoint, literal means that you look at what you read and you try to interpret what you read as being the meaning of the context problem communication of that is that the Bible was not written in your language, so sometimes your language doesn't give you the true meaning of the text. In that context then we need to find out, he says, We have heard about your faith. What then is faith? Well the root meaning of the word faith in the context of where Paul is reading this and in anything you have to understand things by context. In other words what does the word mean in the context? In the setting that it's written. It could mean a lot of things used in different ways, but what does it mean in the context? And that's what we need to gather. So first of all, faith is no more than trust. The word in the Old Testament used more than anything when it talks about the people of God is that you gotta trust God. So in the Old Testament, you get the word trust constantly throughout the Old Testament. You must trust The Lord. So in the New Testament, the word is faith. Faith simply means to trust God. But grammatically, there are two other understandings of the word faith. It does simply mean to trust. The Greek word pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S, simply means that you have belief. You believe. The verb form of pistos means to believe. It means that you're acting on what you believe. So if I believe it, I am living it. That's what it means to have faith. I am hearing that you are doing what you said. That's what pistos really mean. You are really acting. It's one thing for a person to say that they say. It's another thing for you to see that they are living saved. So I've heard of your trust, I've heard of your actions. And finally, faith is used as a noun in the New Testament, and it refers to the doctrine. When when, uh, Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith, he's talking about contend for the doctrine that you receive. The doctrine of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there's no other way to be saved, except through Jesus. In fact, Christianity is emphatic that there aren't ways to be saved. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. John 14 and 6 says, I am the way, one, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except he comes through me. So there's no other way to come to Jesus Christ except you come through, no other way to come to God the Father except you come through Jesus Christ. No way to get to Jesus Christ until you hear your pastor. There are portals to God. So if you don't come through the right portal, you really will not get to the right destination. So we're all on a journey. But we need to find the right portals that will get us to the place that we desire to be. Because if we get to the wrong portal, it might lead us to the wrong destination. I discovered um, uh, a few years ago that there were two Route 58s close together, one in North Carolina here up near Ronald Rapids. If you keep going, you go Route 68 in Virginia, 58 in Virginia. And so there's a Route 58 in Virginia that you're in another state, but you're in Route 58 in North Carolina in this state. So now where are you going? somebody tell you to go Route 58, are you going in Virginia or are you going in North Carolina? The portals will determine your destination. And so sometimes we're in the wrong portal but thinking we're heading to the right destination. (laughs) See, sometimes we think we need to get the portals of denomination. You know, we're in the right church, we're in a Baptist church, we're in a holiness church, we're in a Pentecostal church, we're in these denominational churches, and they're only portals. And we think that we've got, it's all about being in some tradition. But really, we need to get to some truth. The truth is, is that ministry preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified? That's the issue. Because if you do not you preaching that, I don't care what the label says. It's what the substance is. So he says, I've heard of your faith, your trust, your lifestyle, your doctrine. I need you to keep having compelling faith. So as our first step in keeping the church on fire, we got to keep compelling faith. We got to keep our trust together. We trust God above anybody else. It's one thing, No, you know, I, I, I know we dearly love people and we love our leaders, but you cannot put your hope in what you see. Because faith comes what? By what? Romans 10, 17. You got to hear which means that you don't need to see it to believe it. The problem is we want to see everything. But we need a compelling faith that will get us to trust no matter the circumstances. I'm going to trust God anyway. Yeah, even leaders get sick. Yeah, You know, sometimes people think leaders aren't supposed to get sick. They're not supposed to have any infirmities. They're not supposed to have any weaknesses. Yeah, probably greater weaknesses, you because more burdens are on them. That's why you've got to constantly pray for them. So the question is, is the church praying for the leader while the leader is praying for the church? See, the partnership, you pray for him, and he prays for you because the prayers that he's praying for you is going up to glory. You're strengthening him so that he can have, be strong enough to speak a leadership word to God for you. Because as, as he prays for you, he becomes the priest of the house. As he speaks for God, he becomes the prophet of the house. So he's priest and prophet. Praise God. All right, next point. I'm going to let you, you tell me. You teach me today. So what's the next scene? compassionate love. Read
1: verse four again, please. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people.
0: Love is a measuring rod for Christians. Can I say that again? Love is a measuring rod for Christians. Your gift does not measure your Christianity. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how much you think your ability is. That's not your measuring rod. What is your measuring rod is sacrificial love. And the love that he's talking about here is love that does not need a pat on the back. That you do simply because you have a relationship with God. Love that is not reciprocal. Because divine love isn't reciprocal love. In other words, love, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You give me a gift, I give you a gift. You know, we always want to give based on what we get. Some people can't even give give a good offer unless they give a prophecy about what they're going to get. Yet the scripture says it's more blessed to give than it is to. But too much emphasis today is being placed on what we receive. And not on what we give. You got to learn to give not expecting to receive anything. Because really blessings overtake you. It It is when you're not looking for it. That God sneaks up on you. A blessing is really a sneak attack. You don't stand there. I'm looking for a miracle. Expect the impossible. I mean, it's a great song. Don't don't misunderstand me. But as I understand it, blessings is like the highway patrolman who lights start coming while you're speeding. You didn't expect them to catch you, but when you looked in the rearview mirror, that light was shining. Blessings are kind of like as you're going along, doing what you're doing, being who you are, just simply loving on people and thanking God for who you are, God just suddenly enlarges you when you wasn't even expecting it. Because guess what? That means that your blessings come from behind you, not in front of you. Mm. So your blessings are really payment for what you have done that you didn't get rewarded on the spot. but it's coming to you so you just gotta keep on working when I'm gonna get it don't worry about it It, it's already in process you just need to keep on working blessings come from me see well let me let me let me go back looking for a miracle because miracles are in front of you they are temporary supernatural things that happen that keep you in a holding pattern until God moves you in your purpose. I don't think I can say that again. I don't know if I can say that one again. They are temporary supernatural encounters that keep you in a holding pattern. Because miracles sustain you. God never want you to live in a miracle. Because if you need a miracle, it means that you are in trouble. And God needs to rescue you. And no Christian needs to stay in a rescue mode. What I need is provision. Because provision will fund my vision. My blessings come, and because you understand that when God promised you to get blessed, he cannot bless you till he geographically placed you where he wants to bless you. No, no, what's this. Egypt, he, he told the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, when he pulled them out of bondage, he says, I'm going to take you in the land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, I'm going to announce to you, you're going to get blessed, but you ain't going to get blessed in the, miracle, in the wilderness. In the wilderness, you're going to receive miracles. Because you going always, for the next 40 years, need to be rescued. Because when you get a miracle, you get just enough to keep going. You know, like some people live from paycheck to paycheck, I can just make it till Friday.. <laughs> That's a miracle. But in essence, when you get blessed, being blessed, here's how you know if your life is a miracle, it means you have just enough. That means that every time you turn around, you don't know where it's coming from, but you get just enough to take you on to the next day. That's a life of miracle. Now, why are you being sustained? Because there's a purpose on your life that has not yet been revealed, so God has to sustain you until you come to the understanding of your purpose. It's like we do with babies. You have to keep feeding them till they learn how to feed themselves. When you know they mature enough, you put a spoon by their bowl and not take the spoon and feed them. At some point they gotta learn how to pick up the spoon and feed themselves. So why are you always causing the to God to get me out of this and deliver me from that? You're still a baby. That's why Paul said, I want to feed you with milk, but you're still babies. Because you always needing to be rescued. Wow. Am I in the house? I'm, I'm trying to get through. I'm, what am I'm I on, number two or number three? I'm on number two, right? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting Because God want to pull you out of a holding pattern. In the name of the Lord. Come on, pray, praise God as they come forth.